Welcome to this Allen and Overy Brexit podcast. My name is Emma Danforth and I'm a senior associate in Allen and Overy's Funds and Asset Management Group. The United Kingdom left the European Union on the 31st of January 2020, known as Exit Day, as part of a negotiated exit pursuant to the terms of a withdrawal agreement between the UK and the European Union. We are now in an implementation period until 11pm on the 31st of December 2020, during which time the UK will generally continue to be bound by EU law. In this episode, we will focus our attention on what this means for the funds and asset management industry and discuss the biggest issues we are seeing amongst clients following these recent developments. Joining me today to discuss this topic are Dominic von Wolfen, also a senior associate in our funds and asset management group, and Jenny Younghammer from our affiliate business, Aosphere. Jenny is head of one of Aosphere's subscription services, Rule Finder Marketing Restrictions, Asset Management. This service analyses the rules applicable to cross-border distribution of funds and asset management services. Thank you, Emma. Before we dive into the detail, let's take a few minutes to focus on where most of our asset management clients were in relation to their Brexit preparations when we hit exit day. Our clients generally fell into one of three groups with their Brexit planning. First, those who plan to leverage off their existing EU27 group entities in some way, including by extending the scope of permissions of those existing entities. Second, those who were setting up new firms, mainly in Ireland and Luxembourg. And third, those who are hoping in the short to medium term to rely upon a patchwork of exemptions, transitional provisions and amending services to avoid carrying on regulated activities and then plan to revisit their longer-term plan once the future regulatory framework was clearer. Thank you, Dominic. I'd add that, for the most part, those clients that were setting up new entities already had them authorised and up and running by exit day. Many of these clients have now moved to these new entities and are therefore Brexit-ready. However, a good number of clients have taken a more wait-and-see approach and have held off actually moving to the new entities until the future regulatory landscape is clearer. In terms of those clients who plan to leverage off their existing EU27 group entities, there's a similarly mixed approach between those who have implemented their plans and are Brexit-ready and those who are waiting to see how the transitional period evolves. We'll come on to the key issues that we are seeing for these different groups shortly. But first, Emma, can you give us a short overview of what we mean by a negotiated exit from the European Union? Of course. As I mentioned, the key point to note is that under the withdrawal agreement between the UK and the EU, there is an implementation period, during which time the status quo will broadly remain the same. That means that the UK will continue to be subject to almost all EU rules and existing legislation and regulation, as interpreted and implemented by the European institutions. Firms and funds will continue to benefit from single market passporting rights both into and from the UK and the UK will continue to be obliged to implement new EU law as if it were still a member state. However, the key difference is that the UK will no longer be at the table shaping new law. For example, the FCA will no longer be a member of ESMA's Board of Supervisors or participate in any of ESMA's other governance bodies, except where there are exceptional circumstances. Thank you, Emma. 
One thing I wanted to flag is that the withdrawal agreement between the UK and the EU provides for the possibility of a mutual agreement to extend the implementation for up to a further two years, with such an extension needing to be agreed by the 30th of June 2020. However, the UK law that implemented the agreement contains a specific prohibition on any minister actually agreeing to such an extension. This means that in order to extend the implementation period, the UK Parliament would need to legislate to override the prohibition. The market view, therefore, is that currently it's very unlikely that the implementation period will be extended beyond the 31st of December 2020. In effect, therefore, all the implementation period does is push the risk of what would be in most areas a no-deal Brexit one year down the line as there is no arrangement between the EU and the UK yet as to what happens at the end of the implementation period. Correct. Although the differences between now and the position this time last year are that first, as we were in the transitional period, the UK is allowed to start negotiating trade deals, and secondly, there is a more collaborative tone in recent conversations between the EU and the UK. Both of these suggest that there is more likely to be some form of agreement reached. However, while there is a growing market confidence that there will be some form of agreement, there are still a lot of options on the table as to what that agreement may look like. I agree, Emma. I'd flag that there's a lot of noise in the press about a possible financial services arrangement based on equivalence. Equivalence is a concept whereby the EU can recognise a non-EU country's regime as being equivalent to the corresponding EU framework, such that the non-EU country is permitted to obtain access to the EU's markets. However, equivalence mechanisms only exist for some financial services rules and not all, so it doesn't offer a solution for all areas of financial services. The optimism for an arrangement based on equivalence perhaps stems from the political declaration, which provides for each of the EU and the UK to undertake equivalence assessments before the 30th of June 2020, i.e. six months before the end of the implementation period. Some suggest this implies that the intention is that equivalence should form the basis of the future relationship. However, this view seems less likely, particularly against the background of publications and communications from the EU relating to equivalence, which are generally now pointing to a more conservative approach. The tone of the Prime Minister's recent keynote speech on the UK's post-Brexit relationship with the EU also indicates that maintaining equivalence in financial services may not be a government priority. And even if the UK were to be granted equivalence, many of our clients don't view equivalence in its current form as being a particularly good solution. One of the key issues is that an equivalence determination can be withdrawn by the EU on 30 days' notice, and the circumstances and determination process for doing so gives the EU a large amount of discretion. Many of our clients aren't comfortable building a long-term post-Brexit strategy on the basis of a ruling that could be withdrawn in that way on such short notice. The withdrawal of equivalence for five jurisdictions under the Credit Rating Agency's regulation and for Switzerland in relation to its stock exchange equivalence illustrates that this is a real risk. Although there is some doubt that the European Commission would take a similar approach in relation to an equivalence decision agreed with the UK, given the fact that the UK's markets are arguably more integral to Europe's financial services framework. I agree, Dominic, and I'd also flag a more practical concern, which is that the target date in the political declaration for equivalence assessments is the 30th of June 2020, which is exactly the same deadline 
as that given to the EU and the UK to agree whether they wish to extend the implementation period. This means that firms don't really have enough time to wait and see what the outcome of the equivalence assessments will be, as if those determinations aren't favourable, they simply don't have enough time to make alternative plans before the end of the year. It's difficult at this stage to assess what the position post the implementation period is, and there remains the risk that either no future relationship is agreed by the end of the implementation period, or where a relationship is agreed that doesn't extend to financial services. The FCA clearly views this as a potential risk, as they've repeatedly stated that firms need to ensure that they are prepared for a range of scenarios, including no agreement being reached. If no agreement is reached at the end of the implementation period, the UK will become a third country from an EU perspective. This means firms and funds will no longer benefit from single market passports into or from the UK. From that point, in the absence of an equivalence decision absent any new authorisations, firms and funds would only be able to provide services into or from the UK to the extent they could either rely upon a transitional period or an exemption, or alternatively structure their services such that they don't involve any regulated activities. Looking more closely at the transitional periods and exemptions that Emma mentioned, for EU funds and firms wishing to provide services into the UK after the implementation period, there is some good news in that the FCA has helpfully confirmed that the temporary permissions regime that the UK put in place in anticipation of a no-deal exit on 31st of January 2020 will now be moved back so that it will apply from the end of the implementation period on 31st of December 2020 rather than 31st of January 2020. That will enable EU firms and funds to continue to operate in the UK on the basis of their existing passporting rights for a period of up to three years. The original window for EU firms and funds to notify the FCA that they wanted to use the temporary permissions regime closed on 30th of January 2020, but the FCA has recently confirmed that it will reopen the window before 31st of December 2020. So Dominic, how does that work for firms that notified the FCA before the 31st of January 2020 that they wanted to use the original temporary permissions regime? The FCA has confirmed that EEA firms and asset managers that have already submitted a notification need take no further action at this stage, and that when the window is reopened later in 2020, they will be able to amend or withdraw their existing notifications or make additional notifications. For completeness, it is also worth noting that as part of the UK's no-deal Brexit planning, a large number of statutory instruments required for the domestication of EU law into UK law were passed. The UK's European Union Withdrawal Agreement Act 2020 broadly ensures that these instruments will now only come into effect at the end of the implementation period. That's right, Dominic. Although funds and asset managers will need to continue to monitor the legislative framework as changes to this onshoring legislation may be needed to reflect the nature of any future relationship agreed between the UK and the EU, and equally to onshore any EU legislation which becomes applicable between now and the end of the implementation period. Thanks, Emma. If we look back to the key issues we were seeing clients grapple with at this time last year, One of those issues is the fact that the temporary permissions regime doesn't simply operate as a fixed three-year transitional period. Instead, the FCA intends to give firms and funds relying upon the regime a three-month landing slot to submit their application to become an authorised firm 
or in the case of a fund, to start relying upon the Article 42 national private placement regime, or if the fund wants to market to retail investors, to apply to become a recognised overseas scheme under Section 272 of FISMA. Jenny, is that still an issue? Yes, Dominic, it is. The temporary permissions regime is still expected to operate in the same way in terms of the landing slots you described. The fact that, in practice, the period could be much shorter than three years for some clients is still a key issue. For those who are taking some form of wait-and-see approach, it does make some sense to rely on this regime to buy a little more time. However, given the uncertainty of the last two years, lots of our clients really want to get to a position where they have some certainty and are therefore taking the view that they'd simply rather implement their hard Brexit plans now so that everything's done and they can move on. To add to that, Jenny, the other elephant in the room is that to the extent an EEA fund wants to market to retail investors in the UK, the only route available will be becoming a recognised fund under Section 272 of the FISMA regime. This route has to date only been used in a very small number of cases for funds wishing to market to the public, and the application process to the FCA is generally considered to be lengthy and onerous, with no guarantee of success. Following lobbying by the asset management industry, the FCA has acknowledged that a review of this regime to test its fitness for purpose is warranted. However, this review has yet to take place, and there are concerns as to whether it will be done by the time the first landing slots arrive. This is, of course, the most relevant for EEA USITs wishing to continue to market in the UK. While the approach of the FCA is helpful in relation to the post-implementation period world, as yet, there is no reciprocal approach from the EU. You may recall that in the run-up to exit day, there was no EU-wide transitional regime. Instead, each member state was individually determining whether it would have a transitional regime, and if so, what that transitional regime would look like. Again, it is not expected that any form of pan-European transitional regime will be established for the end of the implementation period. So asset managers and funds are therefore back in the position of needing to keep on top of all the developments on a member state by member state basis between now and the 31st of December 2020. At Aosphere, we closely monitor and track Brexit developments at a member state level and will continue to keep subscribers up to date via our dedicated email alerting service. Jenny, have any member states which had previously announced that they'd operate a transitional regime confirmed that they'll take a similar approach to the FCA? A good question, Dominic. At the current stage, none of them have done that. In fact, the CSSF in Luxembourg has recently confirmed in a press release that its individual decisions granting the 12-month transitional regime to UK entities and all the notifications in relation to those applications have now lapsed. In the absence of transitional regimes, as Emma flagged, firms may find themselves navigating the use of third country exemptions in relation to investment services, which may be available in certain EU states, for example in Germany, Belgium and Ireland, or in relation to funds for which the marketing passport will no longer be available, marketing in accordance with the Article 42 National Private Placement Regime. It is worth highlighting that this is an unharmonised area which depends on the regulatory rules of each member state. And that is a topic that Aosphere has detailed data on in its marketing restrictions service. Thank you, Dominic. That's right, we do. Um, one thing I wanted to raise with you is that looking back to this time last year, I recall that 
One of the issues that the asset management sector was particularly nervous about was the negotiation of a memorandum of understanding or MOU. Emma, are these MOUs still an issue? Well, Jenny, here's one area where there's a bit of good news. As a reminder, post-Brexit, the UK will be a third country. And if an EU27 fund manager wants to delegate portfolio management or risk management to a UK firm, there must be an MOU in place between the member state of the fund manager and the UK. Equally, if a UK fund wants to rely upon the Article 42 private placement regime route for marketing funds into an EU27 jurisdiction, there must be an MOU in place between that jurisdiction's regulator and the FCA. While generally last year the assumption in Brexit planning was that the MOUs would be in place before 29th of March 2019, and some member states were clear that this was the expectation, there was a lot of nervousness as ultimately none of these agreements had actually been entered into, and for some jurisdictions it was felt very unlikely they would actually be entered into in time. It's fair to say that the market almost universally now takes the view that these MOUs will be in place by the end of the implementation period. However, having these MOUs in place isn't the end of the story. In particular, firms that delegate portfolio management or risk management back to the UK are going to need to make sure that they continue to be able to evidence that they are able to exercise oversight over their UK delegates. And it's also likely there will continue to be at least some regulatory and political pressure against extensive delegation to the UK. Another key concern last March was in relation to the MIFID activities of giving cross-border investment advice and engaging in reception and transmission of orders known as RTO, or arranging deals as we call it in the UK. While, subject to the MOUs we've just been discussing being in place, clients were generally comfortable that teams in London could continue to perform portfolio management for alternative investment funds after a hard Brexit under the AIFMD delegation regime, there were no obvious answers for a hard Brexit structure which enables teams in London to continue to provide MIFID investment advice and RTO services to EU27 entities from London. And the difficulty we see is that even a year down the line, there isn't really a solution to this. One thing to consider is that there is some flexibility when determining what exactly amounts to RTO or investment advice. However, ultimately, for those activities which are pure investment advice and RTO, it's difficult to find a structure that enables those to be performed in the UK following a hard Brexit. This then ties back to the first issue of who do you need on the ground in each jurisdiction. This then ties back to the first issue of who do you need on the ground in the jurisdiction of your EU27 entity. Thank you, Dominic and Jemmy. For those who would like to find out more about the changes that Brexit will drive for funds and asset managers, please go to the Allen and Overy Brexit Law website, where further material can be found. Also, to find out more about Airsphere's Rule Finder Marketing Restrictions Asset Management Service, please go to airsphere.com for further information and to arrange a free trial.